Motorcast. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, and uh, here with our guest, Tanner Faust. So, uh, how are you, Tanner? I am great, Matt. It's good to talk to you. It's been a little while. It's been a little while, and uh, we've got, uh, I don't know, just crazy weather going on over here. It's just raining, and it just doesn't seem to to stop. We get like two days of sunshine, and then it starts all over again, and California's not equipped for this much rain. No. (laughs) The worry is, is that it doesn't you know, there's there's been a problem for a long time, you know, with reservoirs being low. And if you ever go to Lake Powell or ever go to any of the reservoirs, Big Bear even, you know, it's record lows, right? Yeah. And uh, you hope that going through a season like this completely fixes that. But it's almost like too much all at once. It just washes out into the ocean and right. doesn't we, get captured. We can't collect it all. Yeah, we can't do it. <laughs> but uh, I was in Mammoth just a couple. I was in Mammoth. The, got back yesterday. And I mean... I will, I'll show you some videos here in a little bit, but it's like the people that have paid the, by the way, like five, 10 X normal price for snow plowing um, that can get to their houses. Yeah. It's just a tunnel to the garage and the people that decided, you know what, it, they're just getting reamed by these uh, snow plow guys that they wouldn't do it. They've shoveled themselves. They've literally made like a walking cave to get to the door and they can't get their car there, obviously. But the houses are buried and they're under two stories of snow. It's it's impossible to really describe. Yeah. So we uh we do the other podcast, Shift and Steer, with Aaron Hagar. He lives in mm. uh Lake Tahoe. And oh, gosh, yeah. And every week, it's just every week we're going on the podcast, there's there's a conversation of just like the the snow that's out there, and he keeps trying to clear a path and you kind of have to do it every day and then he does yeah. the house and he goes over to the shop and his shop isn't big enough to put all of his cars in so he's got a few things out like he's got like three isettas like bmw isettas yeah. like shells yep. of a car yeah luckily they only take up a kitchen worth of space right but <laughs> but if the snow gets too high out of it crushes oh, the isettas oh, so he's just geez. constantly trying to go over there and, and that, make those things to freedom <laughs> that's the thing it's like i mean the first part about it for us because we're not up there right you joke about getting lost like you're driving through you're literally a rat in a maze looking for your house and there's uh, there's no visual cues to find it nothing looks similar and then the second is you know the pain in the ass of all the snow and everything but really then you start to get into like the danger factor, not being able to get around the fact that it's still snowing in mammoth as like, while we're speaking, it's breaking the all time record yesterday. It was five inches short today. They've gotten those five inches. They're expecting another 20. And then you get into the danger, the structural damage and the insurance companies are like, if it doesn't, if you don't think your damage is X dollars, don't bother calling yet. And it's, (laughs) it's like, but they're pretty sure everybody's got something. Even Everyone's gonna it's call. Like, at yeah, some it's point. like it's like fifty tons on yeah. on a small roof. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so it's it's really it, it, you have to feel for people in that that live in that scenario. And I'm actually moving to Colorado this summer, and uh, there the snow doesn't come down as big as we have seen in Tahoe and Mammoth and Big Bear. But um, it is it, it does add the anxiety. Add to the anxiety a little bit, all the snow plowing in every day, yeah. you know, maintenance of that. But um, yeah, what a, what an amazing season. I really hope that we capture yeah. some of the snow on the snow melt and fill the reservoirs. So, uh, you know, Goldberg's trying to join us as well. So, uh, but he's uh, traveling to LA or is about to travel to LA. He's trying to get it figured out. So maybe he'll jump on and, and say hi in a little bit. So uh, just so you guys know, he's, he's trying to make it work. But before we get into other stuff i don't want to say the good stuff because other stuff i want to talk a little bit about flying because that's the good stuff sure (laughs) um you've been flying you've been flying a lot uh for years now and every time i i i see you you're you're like yeah flew over here just flew flew over to barrett jackson flew over myself um i think we did a while back we might have done a track day up at willow springs um I don't know. Maybe it was like Jeremy Fry was putting something together. He's another stuntman oh, yeah. friend of ours. Yeah. And you're like, no, I I flew here and I took a fold up bike and put it in my plane and biked from the airport to the track. And then you're going to just bike back to the plane and fly home. Yeah. I. You know, when we finished Top Gear, I I had wanted to get a pilot's license. Yeah. 
and I didn't know what an obsession it would really be. Right. I just, I, I had a kick going throughout the years of shooting that show. I really, I started that show really just loving the fun of driving. And then as my daughter got through her teenage years, I started to get super attached to the whole idea of, of the human potential, like making sure that you took ownership of taking yourself from A to B instead of living in a screen. Yeah. And, you know, when you watch a kid, how, how addicting it can be to live in a screen and you are dragging them out of the house sometimes and yeah. finally getting them to ex- like going out and being outside. It's like it's foreign to us because uh, not to say that you're old, but um, that we, you know, didn't have necessarily um, that uh, kind of, um, I guess, reason to stay inside. We always played outside. Yeah, totally. Always played outside. But also I... I did a lot of stuff on cars back in the day. Like instead of, yeah. you know, fussing around with my phone, which didn't exist. Like we were right. kind of horse trading, you know, like, Oh, you know, I'll, I got a nitrous kit. I'll trade it, you know, for used pair of cylinder heads. And, you know, if you come and help me install them and, you know, my brother and I, my friends, we were just constantly thrashing on. Oh, totally. And on, the, and on, the, on cars. like the cause and effect of that. So like you, you would in inject some, um, negotiation some effort in installing and then the benefit was the hit when you hit the throttle and that thrill was like nothing else and you were ready for the next one yeah you know, right, right yeah that. yeah so that and that that's what i'm talking about it's just you you did that yourself and i and i airplanes and general aviation is what it's called you know ga it's just this whole nother layer of freedom where you it, that that exists maybe we're the last generation that can enjoy it but you can just go fly. You don't have to talk to people. If you don't want to, you can just go fly places you can cut the grass in your lawn. If you have enough land and make a runway. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, it's an amazing freedom that exists right now. Uh, uh, Bill, uh, welcome. Uh, we were just talking about flying. Beautiful. <laughs> can you, can uh, you hear it? All right. You can hear it. Right. I got to get on a plane tomorrow. You got to get on a plane. Yeah, I know you do. Perfect. Uh, so uh, Tanner's been uh, flying his own plane around and uh, you know, back in my teenage years, I was really into like Air Force, ROTC, Civil Air Patrol. I got into that stuff. So I started flying as a teenager. And then, you know, eventually high school ended. You start moving across the country and you're going to school and you kind of uh, lose part of it and you can't afford it. But um, but I can relate in that I, I went, I did it. I logged a bunch of hours. Uh, it was fun to do. I was in South Florida at the time. Uh, flying out of Fort Lauderdale, uh, flying like Fort Lauderdale to Palm Beach and just and and practicing just like touch and goes and and just doing some some fun stuff. Uh, <laughs> it was good. I I, uh, you know, I'll chime in real quick. I got some absolutely horrible memories of flying and I am the only Goldberg that doesn't have his pilot's license. But there is a reason for that, because I'm. 16 and 18 years younger than my two older brothers who would take me up when I was, I don't know, four. Yeah. And do touch and goes until I'd throw up. That's and <laughs> and to probably 15 years later when my brother, who's the largest independent contractor of cargo planes in the world right now, uh, used to take up in his glider, and then he had a T-34 that he took me up and did hammerheads and freaking every aerobatic you can think of. And he knew how claustrophobic I was, and so I cannot chime in on the beauty of flying. Um, <laughs> yeah. For me, it's more memory. <laughs> it brings back a lot of nasty memories, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Uh, throwing up repeatedly is not the most fun thing to do when you're yeah <laughs> so needless to say i'm not a fan of flying myself but i can greatly appreciate its convenience uh you know i i got a chance to get up in a helicopter as well which i thought was super interesting i don't know if you guys have done that have you have you been up you've been in a helicopter have you tried to fly heli- have you been in tanner i've flown one i flow uh um dave sparks heavy d they're they've got <laughs> yeah yeah there way into it okay. and, and so he let me fly his a little bit and it's it, yeah it's a lot more touchy than i thought you know because i thought you know i work with helicopters all the time in filming yeah and they just make it look so freaking easy oh yeah and they you know uh fred north is somebody i follow on instagram and and he he was one of the first 
movie helicopter pilots to post a bunch of stuff. And every single day he's putting up some amazing thing. And, and now that I've got a little sample of how difficult it is, man, I appreciate what those guys can do. So, you know, you were, you were telling your story about like, you know, flying and, and, you know, taking your kids up and trying to get them out of the house and experience something yeah. that's not just in front of the TV. So um, I don't know if you guys are friends with Lorenzo Lamas, the actor Lorenzo Lamas. He's a, he's a sweetheart of a guy, big supporter of military. Uh, he's a good driver. Um, mm. And we did some charity stuff together a number of times. And, and yeah, uh, you know, long ago, he, he, you know, his kids were young and he got divorced and she moved off to, I think like Arizona or something. He lived in California, still working as an actor. And he's like, I'm going out there almost every weekend to see my kids and it's costing me a fortune. So he's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to get a pilot's license. I'm going to start doing this myself. Right. Uh, and you're right. Like you said earlier, Tanner, just sort of controlling your schedule, your destiny, like just controlling all that aspect of it. So he starts flying back and forth. And of course, you know, now the kids are older, they're in their twenties and they're adults. And uh, as you know, as they got more like high school lives and a little less spend time with, with dad on every weekend, he switched from planes to helicopters Mm -hmm. and we did a bunch of stuff together. And then he's like, you come up with a helicopter. I'll, you know, let's just do, let's, let's do a day. I'll teach you how to fly. And we went to Van Nuys airport and fired up a helicopter and That's flew crowded. it around. Yeah. And, and he was, he is so calm, so fantastic. And, uh, I, you know, within an hour, like you've got some basic control of the helicopter, like you're, you're trying to figure it out. Now you're right. It is just getting it to hover in place right. is more difficult than flying it. And you just feel like you're bobbing, like hanging on a string, like, and, you know, and uh, it was, yeah, it, it was so much fun to do. It's definitely worth, uh, worth trying. I know getting a helicopter license is more expensive or more complicated than. Uh, I think it's plane. pretty, it, it is a little, it's very similar. Like once you have one, you can easily get the other. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah. But that I, there's so many weird little rules like with airplanes it's like it's speed over the wings makes the lift don't go too slow it's like it, there's something super basic about that plus airplanes are really efficient over long distance where the helicopters yeah. aren't so much but then you get in and, and they're like okay this particular helicopter you can't nose down because the prop will hit the tail and break the tail off and then we die and you're like what and then <laughs> oh, and then in this one you'll make sure you never come to a stop before you like get close to the ground effect and all that because then you'll get your own rudder wash will flip over and will die and i mean it's like there's so many little rules for helicopters of things you can't see yeah yeah, they yeah you, guys, you guys touched on the convenience and i can uh empathize with that exponentially of using private aircraft but uh, you know, my brother, who has been a pilot ever since he was 16, is now a Ferrari guy, and he was involved with NetJet for a number of years before COVID, uh, and then he got out of NetJet, but he was one of the only owner-operators that would fly, so he'd fly the, uh, the, uh, the 10. And, oh, uh, citation, yeah. Yeah, so basically for him... It was an extension of going, it was the next step, right? Of control and of fun. So yeah. Tanner, you've done just about everything in the freaking world, right? <laughs> so I can see how you would really enjoy the ability to go up by yourself in a plane or a helicopter and do your thing with it, man. You know, it's just another extension of, of, of uh, our personalities. I do. I agree. I do like the stick and rudder of it and the control factor and there's no speed limit. There's, you know, it, it, it the layer of freedom's amazing. Um, I'm still in the phase where it's the time machine factor where you can land in an airport right next to where you need to go. Like if we were doing this in person, I would just come up and I'd land in Burbank or Van Nuys or whatever's closest to you guys. And it would take 12 minutes to get there. And I wouldn't have to deal with all the traffic that's sitting in the rain right now in LA. And the, um, then I know the next layer is aerobatics and getting into that part of it, which I, yeah. I wouldn't mind getting into. I, I love those guys that are, are also kind of mountain adventurers in Idaho and, you know, the Trent Palmers of the world that are landing on mountaintops. Now you saw that video recently Red Bull just did where the guy landed on a helicopter pad on top. I of saw that. Paper. Yeah. Yeah. And so the people are pushing the limits all the time, which is cool. Right now there's a show kind of the SEMA of airplane world is going on in Florida called Sun and Fun 
which is the aftermarket parts world of airplanes. Then the big one is Oshkosh, of right. course, um, which I've never been to, which I, I want to go to this year. But yeah, I, can, it, I can see you segue into those air races. The air races look freaking crazy. I mean, let's be honest, right? It's, <laughs> It's it's kind of like I never got into sport bikes because I knew I'd like it and the danger factor is so up there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I almost don't want to sip on that nectar too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, that looks awesome. <laughs> I mean, they and they're they're in there like and it's like old it's it's so similar to hot rotting because they're like taping up the seams. It's a, it's all about aluminum craftsmanship and they're visualizing stuff. There's not, they're not, they don't have, you know, a 3d rendering of the plane and its aerodynamics and stuff working for them. They're, they're literally like hot rotting these planes. And like, and like a race car, you're literally wearing the, wearing the plane. I mean, the thing yes. has no size whatsoever. It's just a, a trick monster, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's scary. I mean, cause they, Obviously, when they do have a problem, you see, you see when they make contact with the other planes. Oh yeah, like their friend is altitude, and they're going like 500 miles an hour. So they just instantly shoot straight up to gain a bunch of altitude. There's the airport, and then they make their way there. And but it's still there's always. I'm amazed it goes on still. There 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 are a lot of fatalities, unfortunately. Still, not to be Debbie Downer. No, they're, 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 they're nuts. They are absolutely nuts. And the, the, the uh, attention to detail must be unbelievable because I couldn't imagine taking a hot rod up in the air. Like right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of them are, like you said, they're modified. Some are home built. And, you know, of guys that uh, like us that have had car projects, we've had our fair share of issues with those cars just keeping them running and keeping them on the road like they're on the ground yeah we're, we're still on the ground if you've got to keep it in the air and you've got the same sort of uh, build quality issues and, and parts issues right and they're uh, not running like new aluminum v10s or something you know they're yeah. running 1940s 1950s technology doubling the horsepower and on you know lessons learned the hardware hard way of what you know is the weak link fix those along the way to get that horsepower and hope it stays together it's yeah. like yeah it sounds like the, the last three months of dodge horsepower <laughs> <laughs> trying to keep things together and i would be remiss in, in not telling you that guys that the reason why i was late is because i finally got my 170 order in nice. okay yeah you got the demon 170 yeah, and, and I really want to bring this up because it is hugely contentious right now, and you guys know about it, but you're not fully solidified into the Dodge brand like I am. But can we please talk about what's going on with these dealers and the overcharges right now? Oh, my God. Guys have heard it. And I've got some stories that will blow your socks off. The, and the I, dealer. I just came from a dealer who was one of two dealers in the United States that doesn't charge a penny over on any of their specialty vehicles. They got eight allotments and sold all eight of them for MSRP. Conversely, my buddy Rob Hart, who spent millions of dollars with his local dealer in the past four years, mm -hmm. um, seven out of eight of their allotments have sold for $250,000 over. What? Yeah. Good Lord. Well, do you, you remember the Ferrari, the Ferrari story, right? When the F, I think it was the F50 mm -hmm. came out or F40. No, it was the F40 came out. The yeah, the dealers were marking them up like this, hundreds of thousands um, over the price. And Ferrari then mandated that all dealers had to sell the F50 at MSRP. And um, I think they went as far as to only allow leases or something like that, but um, the way that it works now, still at a Ferrari dealer, since you said your brother was into Ferraris, they they will only sell at an MSRP, but they have such a limited supply that you almost have to agree to sell it back to them when you're ready to sell. And in some cases, they'll they'll do a written contract with you that if you buy it for MSRP and sell it back to them within a year with under 3,000 miles or whatever, they'll buy it back for ten dollars or $15,000 more than you paid for it. And then you'll have your deposit um, in line for the next one that's coming out. Mm 
Well, yeah, and that's the caveat right there is if you screw up any way, shape, or form, you're not on that list. You're blacklisted, exactly. And right. so there's... All- or you got to fix it, right? Because uh, I-, I think Sammy Hagar did something. Like, he didn't buy some Ferrari to to keep him on the list. And then at one point, he's like, I changed my mind. I do want a La Ferrari because they're like, do you want one? He's like, nah. And then he went back and he's like, okay, I do. And they literally made him buy like a Ferrari FF as punishment. They're like, buy the FF and then you'll get the, the, the La Ferrari and then you could sell the FF later, but they get the sale and, you know, like it. And- <laughs> like that's I mean, your punishment. What a, what a black eye on the on the dealer business, you know. I mean, I, you got two dealers in the United States that are charging MSRP, and you've got ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the guys who aren't. And what does that say about where we are right now? You know, I mean, the, the, the problem. Guys, I've got guys there. I mean, there are people that are scrambling right now to get this car. And they thought that they'd automatically be on the list because of the tenure that they've had with their local dealers and the amount of of, uh, hell, of jail breaks or amount of whatever that they bought. Mm-hmm. And they're all just getting boned, man. And yeah. I don't know what's – and you know, quite honestly, Dodge has come out and said, okay, well, you guys are at the end of the list. Your cars will be manufactured later. And the dealers with the that are charging just MSRP – there's other cars that are being built first. But if your number's matching your serial number, what difference does it make, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, right. So it's, it's a catch-22. I mean, we all hear the rumors that a lot of people are leaving Dodge. But on the way out, man, they got to satiate the people who've really made the brand. I mean... The, the, the problem with the dealer markups is they call it this market adjustment. And they're saying... Oh bullshit! It's it, it, it's not a it's not really a supply and demand issue. That's not how they're selling it. They're going, oh, listen, uh, you know, the the old Dodge Demon is worth, uh, you know, twice what it what it what it is now. So you're going to pay twice. Here's the thing: you don't get to pay on future value of something, Absolutely. right? Like, imagine if we sold houses that way. Imagine if we sold <laughs> any car auction, collector car auction. You know, like. You paid that day's market rate and the dealers are going, no, 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 you're paying for what this car is going to be worth years from now, right now. And that's what is irritating, right? If if it was worth $200,000, the Demon 170, then Dodge should have just made the MSRP $200,000, right? No right. Uh, if you if you if you went now and go, hey, like. Tanner said he's moving to Colorado. Imagine going and buying the house in Colorado and going, Colorado market's pretty hot. This this house is going to be worth double in 10 years. So I'm this charging you double here. now. And you got to pay yeah. double, double. You got you to pay double now because it's going to be worth that someday. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Then just hold, just, just hold on to it. Like it's, it's kind of a weird space, but um, I know we'll go down that rabbit hole of dealer markups for, for a long time. Oh, well, yeah. Every single thing is being marked up at this point, whether, and it goes, it's not, you know, uh, it's not just one dealer. It, I mean, not just yeah. one brand. I mean, they're asking 75 over, 100 over for the for the Raptor R, right? Right down the street. I got the first phone call. I laughed them right off the, off the phone. But, <laughs> you know, some people are willing to pay it. And I, I don't know. It's just a shame. It truly is because the people who really made the brand and who who have supported the brand so much over the past number of probably ten years, they're all left out to dry. So, have you thought about getting a dealer? No. <laughs> As we speak, sir. Yeah. Yes, yes, we are now. It, well. yes. I, I, I. <laughs> I What's going to happen is, is you're going to get sucked into the politics of the other dealers. So you got to have to hold your own. I've just- already dealt. I'm already yeah. dealing with that, you know. And I spoke to uh, April, uh, not April, April and Sarah, but her husband this morning. And, you know, I thanked him exponentially from myself personally and from all the Dodge guys for doing what he's doing. Because they've had specialty vehicles ever since they came out from Dodge and they've never charged a penny over. And it's indicative of 
the dealership and their thought process and the fact that long-term is more important to them than the immediate gain, right? Because if you're charging me anything over, I'm never going back to your deal. Right. So I think relationships are much more important to the people who are going to be around forever. And uh, this quick money grab thing is, is, you know, it's going to go away, but I, I think it's ruined a lot of dealerships. And yes, that may be one of the reasons why I'm searching for one right now uh, yeah. all right let's uh, let's let's shift gear, gears a little bit let's talk a little bit of john wick um i went and saw it uh super fun just it's just three hours of action film but action film like like old school kung fu movie like it was just it's it's if there's cgi in that movie and i'm sure there's some amount of cgi and stuff in that movie uh what a wonderful job of of blending it and making it seem as seamless as possible. Not over the top like a Captain America where every the entire movie shot on green screen. Uh, I know they went to some wonderful locations, but um, you got into this uh, a little bit. Now I know you've worked on a ton of movies and uh, the the Bourne movies and the Fast Furious movies, and uh, but uh, tell us what you were doing on on John Wick. Um, the, this was a weird one for me cause I did very little driving the, right. yeah. uh, on the, in the actual film. If you, when you're watching the film, the actual car that you're seeing slide around 99% of it's actually Keanu. And I've had a lot of actors say that they are doing their own driving and they're just not. But, um, so my job was to train Keanu. So it started about a year before we wrapped, um, just going to Willow Springs, uh, a, a car supplier out here, Dennis McCarthy, he brought just a, a truckload of, of muscle cars. Mm-hmm. And we literally went down the row and Keanu and I both were like, wow, we like that one. And it just happened to be a CUDA, a 71 CUDA. And um, that's what we ended up using for the film. And, and so we did some training, came up with about six things. And Keanu already had skills from motorcycle riding, from other driving he'd done in other movies. Um, but we came up with like six moves, reverse 180s, forward 180s, drifting while, you know, holding a gun, um, you know, six things that we could learn to do well enough to do in a crowd. And, uh, and then they wrote the script, the action sequence based on those six things so he could do all of it. Awesome. And yeah, it was um, it was spectacular. I and mean, we shot it. Then it was four months in Germany. Um, so some time went by. They hadn't even written the, written the script for the movie yet at that point. Um, got the green light from Lionsgate and uh, then got the location and everything. We were in Berlin. And uh, out there, we set up a sequence on the, on the airport. I think it's old Teagle Airport in Berlin. And that was the Arc de Triomphe area. And so we had it kind of coned off and we couldn't use the actual Arc de Triomphe. I think it had some... Um, mural over it for like a couple months or something and and they didn't want to paint around that so we actually shot it in teagle and so the cgi that you see are a lot of the the traffic and the, the, the other cars yeah that's what yeah. i saw there was just too many of the stuntmen and the actors standing in the middle of traffic with cars going by i was like no no that's way too dangerous there's no way they're yeah. gonna do that it's there too were choreographed <laughs> there were some and then the i mean the effects department so amazing how they as long as they had a couple cars, then they could populate it with other yeah. ones that were very realistic. The same motion lighting, all that stuff. So I I, I read something recently, briefly, that said, um, I think you were, the interview was with the director, uh, the film, Chad, right? Chad. Yeah. Chad and, yeah. and he basically was saying there was the scene with Keanu uh, with the muscle car and and he i think he credited you and said you went up to him i don't know you can you can clarify but he basically obviously he's doing an interview and he wants to make it interesting he was like we hired tanner he's great race car driver he saw that the car had didn't have doors on it so tanner came to me and said since the car doesn't have doors on it they were busted off uh we should have Keanu pick up a gun from the street while driving, drifting the car. And then he said, so you would go out and see if you can do it. Then if you can do it, then you'll come back and teach Keanu to do it. 
Yeah, is that, totally. Is that, is that kind of how it went down? Um, yeah, it was actually it was Scott Rogers who was the stunt coordinator. But Chad is they they all come from stunts. This whole movie started yeah. just from stunt guys. Yeah, who probably got to know Keanu from doing Matrix, and were like, "What if we just did our own movie?" And then the stunt guy will direct it, and it will be like the most badass thing ever. And and it has proven to be like that. But um, yeah, it it was super open format. I've never done anything like that where you know the creative was like you know what do you think what do you think we should do we got you know at the, end of the, at, at the end of the day you know when they ask the expert his opinion and to give his advice on it and that goes well and that's what they stick with that's that's the best result you could ever get oh it, it was awesome and they wanted so they wanted to see that it was Keanu right so you had so in the story the doors get ripped off the windshield gets blown out so now and it's at night so now you can see his feet working the pedals. You can see him steering the wheel. So there's no doubt, right, that it's him. And then they had one scene where, you know, he's got to lean out the door and hold the steering wheel while they're shooting through the front windshield. And and the whole thing that I've learned with the Wick story is that anything's a weapon, whether it's a horse or a car or picks up a pencil, everything's a, a way to kill somebody. And so he basically drifts this car into somebody and, and I don't know, it, it was just something that I wanted to try was to, to have to reach down and grab a gun that kind of appeared from under the car while you're drifting. And so we put some white tape down, put some cones to get the car sideways at the exact right time. And then you just had to put your hands um, we propped the gun up just a little bit. You just had to find the white line and put your hands on the white line, even while you're sliding, just sort of keep it on the white line. And eventually the, the gun would hit your hand. And um, and then, you know, I put the suit on on the day. Chad, we you know, we sent him a little phone video of it and he loved it. And, and then uh, on the day I put the suit on, did it once just so it was in the can. And then Keanu's there uh, and you know, he was maybe he'd practiced it a lot. And, you know, now you're on a street with cars everywhere and people everywhere. It's a little different than out in an airport. And he freaking nailed it the first time they did it twice just to have it. And I mean, he just reached down and scooped the thing up and gapped a couple more people. And it, it was like, um, yeah, it, in the movie, it wasn't super featured. It wasn't a super featured move. It sort of just kind of happened in the flow of it. But still, uh, it's one of the rare times I've been able to sort of inject, um, you know, put some, you know, have an idea, sort of a vision of it. And then you have these 200 people on set, like trying to make your idea work on camera. So it's a, it was a cool feeling. I, did, I didn't think I'd really get that much of a reward out, out of not driving as I did. And in, in, in WIC, it was really fun to be a little more on the creative side than usual. And it's, and it's rare, but it's cool that the director saw the, the expertise. Obviously, they hire you for a reason. So why not ask your opinion about certain moves? I mean, that's I had, Chad and Scott they were awesome. And with, with that, I, again, it is, like you said, it is rare. Um, and then, and Keanu was open for whatever. And he, I mean, he'd be fighting five nights a week. And then I'd get him on the weekends. And so we'd meet like during the day. So that would mess up his whole time schedule for going back to nights, you know, and he'd just come with bloody knuckles because he'd been using nunchucks, which are constantly bouncing back on him and dogs ripping skin off, you know, because it's just inevitability of working with, you know, aggressive dogs. But uh, it, it's a, it was a, gr- it's a hard movie there. I don't know how many stunt people there must've been 70 stunt people involved. I mean, something crazy. Um, and as they go, interestingly, they all show up with long hair and once they get killed off, they get a haircut. Then they get killed <laughs> off and get another haircut. By the end, everybody's almost bald, but you know, <laughs> so just you keep, use, keep using it. Throughout the, if, you, if you film it in order, I, I guess that everyone would yeah. start off with long hair at the beginning of the movie and then everyone would have really short hair at the end of the, at the end of the movie. But I don't think it gets shot that way, but I mean, it's a cool process. I, it, it, it was a fun movie. It looked fantastic. And hearing about it, you're right. Like the scene where, you know, you're picking up the gun from the car. It's, it's two seconds in the film. Yeah. And, but now you, you know, when you go, Hey, why does it cost a hundred million dollars to make a film? Because two seconds took so much time, so much prep, so much training. And this entire movie is just like so much practice and so much choreography in every single little fight scene that it is. And it, 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 it just came out wonderful it's hard to describe but like i've got probably 50 to 100 videos in my phone of just 
piecing together that one gun grab. Then a bunch of other ones, you know, all the 270 where he slides up to camera, all the 180s, the sliding into the Arc de Triumph, all the cars whizzing by and, and the donuts reloading while doing a donut was something we practiced a lot. Um, it, it was, it all took an enormous amount of time. And I love that they just wanted to do it for real. Because for me, okay, when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, oh, here comes a car scene. And then the action goes. And for me, it's like a car movie, right? For the gun guys, it's a gun movie. Everything yeah. has to be right. They're counting the number of shots as they're watching the film, right? Um, and how the reload's working. It's like, oh, that's not how, you know. And then for the horse people, it's a horse movie. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, what kind of sets the wrong kind of saddle for that sort of, you know, they're, it, it, for everybody in their different discipline, they're focused on the authenticity of that. And in the making of it, they had people at a high level in each discipline making sure that it was on point. And well, you got to do that because there are weekend warriors that are out oh, yeah. on the internet just waiting to see somebody screw up a stunt scene, a gun scene, whatever it may be. That's totally. Their That's their life, right? So you can't get any ammo. Right. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's interesting. Now, I, I wouldn't say Tom Cruise is the first to do this, but he's 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 championed it more and more, especially over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years of of having actors do a lot of this stuff, get trained to do some of this stuff uh, because it gives the director more ability to film it. And um uh, one particular movie was Jack Reacher. Um, and I don't know, you might have even worked on Jack Reacher, but I didn't. A lot of the same guys that were on Wick did though. And they, they had Tom Cruise do a lot of the driving scenes when he was flying through, you know, uh, through, through town in the muscle car and stuff again. And the sole purpose of that was like, well, Cruise wanted to do it. So the director was like, if Cruise is going to do it, we need to film it like we've never filmed it before, right? Instead of totally. putting a wig on, on Tanner. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Instead of putting a wig on Tanner to like yeah. now we could we could show we could show the actor. So the way they film that, especially a lot through the rear view camera, like you or through the rear view mirror, you yep. they have a camera going and then in the rear view mirror you see Tom Cruise's face. So it's not like the camera's yes. always on him. It felt kind of interesting, kind of natural. It was shot really well. And you can only do that with training the actor to make those moves. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's no doubt that he broke those barriers. Yeah. Yeah. Through. And now he's basically turned into Jackie Chan. He's flying off. mountains. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know when Tom Cruise became Jackie Chan, but that's what's happening with, with Cruise. Uh, Keanu, we've done stuff, uh, with before, you know, the Toyota, the Long Beach Grand Prix, Keanu's been out there. Um, Adam yep. and I were at, uh, we're at Goodwood and we filmed some stuff with him and did some interviews. He was out there with the Arch Motorcycles, his motorcycle company and, um, a cool guy, uh, 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 only got nice things to say about him. When we filmed stuff, he was so fantastic, uh, the way he just walked up and he was like, Hey, you know, and I was like, hey, this is this is Nate. He's filming it for us. And he's like, hey, Nate, I'm Keanu. Do you mind if I just make a couple little adjustments? He's like, move the camera, move the light, went over there, took two seconds. And then and then he That's it awesome. was Keanu was standing on my right and Adam Carolla was standing on my left. And then Keanu's friend was over there. And uh, so Keanu's like, where am I going to be? And he came over and he, we showed him where he was going to stand. And he's so much taller than I am. So he Good. adjusts the camera. <laughs> to, to, to be waist high right that's all you film and then he comes over stands next to me but like spreads his legs like four feet apart so he's shorter now and he's more on on sort of that's eye funny. to eye with that's me but still obviously taller than get an actor to get to shorten himself yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> and and he just came over and it took three minutes and nailed it and it was fun and then you know we sat down we had lunch and the whole thing but uh yeah uh, he was just, just sweet guy time on the job. Um, I'm sure you got to have quite a number of conversations. Like you said, if you're training with him, yeah, no, we spent months just at the premiere the other night. I mean, he was bringing up conversations that we'd had a year and a half ago Yeah, um, about yeah. a house that I was going through and big bear selling and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, he will remember so much more about the conversation you had a good with than you would ever believe. He's really <laughs> an attentive listening 
friendly guy, you know, and that's, he's, he's got a reputation. He deserves every bit of it. And that's, that's, you know, it's great to see. Cause uh, that's, what his, that's what his fan base really has to know. I mean, quite honestly, there are actors in Hollywood, as we all know, whether it be stunt people or whether it be, you know, open card actors, but you know, aren't personally how they portray themselves to the public. And yeah. it's wonderful to see a guy with such success that is such a down-to-earth dude. It's a car guy and a gun guy and loves to fight. I mean, hey, that's yeah. a dude. That's a dude right Listen, there. I, I, I'm not a gun guy, but I would say, uh, maybe just as an action movie fan, he's got to be one of the best gun handlers out there, right? As an yeah. actor. Oh, yeah. uh, he, Grand he, tactical, man. You know, I mean, he's just got to be yep. one of the best. You know what? Yeah, when we got in the car, the stunt coordinator's like, "Hey, you don't need to talk to Keanu at all about the gun. He's forgotten more about guns than you'll ever know in your life. So just, you know, leave it at that." And sure enough, I mean, he every, everything's dialed on that. He's he's trained with so many people and um, for so many years uh, that um, yeah, you you forget that if the actor is interested in it, that they're going to retain the training and probably brush up on it on their own. Like I've taken Keanu out to Chuck Walla, just to, uh, a friend of mine has a two seat Porsche cup car. We just went out and did a lap day. You know, it's not for filming or anything like that. It's for fun. And I think he gets actually rode in my little airplane out there, you know, walked by all the jets and got in my little tractor with wings and, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> loved it. But it's um, yeah. When, when they genuinely love doing it, I think they, retain the skills and you forget how much training these guys do when they, when they do action sequences on the Tom Cruise thing, he definitely has broken the mold. And I remember hearing a story that was told about him where he wanted to do this thing and he went to the safety guy and the safety guy said, um, uh, yeah, we probably can't, you know, do that. And he said, okay, so, well, I got another safety guy. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then, you know, it goes through it and that, and he's just been in that position where he could just write his own, you know, way through that kind of stuff and made it okay for actors to actually do stunts instead of just say they're doing them. Um, And then you get to your point about how do you shoot that? We shot this almost the whole drive sequence with the drone. So I drove all four months exercising the drone because because Keanu could do the same move over and over again but the drone would never be the same twice um, just because it's trying to keep up with the car going 60 miles an hour and, and stopping suddenly and all that and and so it was really just about training the drone which made it super dynamic but also meant that you could be eye level close through all this stuff not necessarily looking out from afar from you know a, a camera on sticks or in a, a camera car or something um, let, me, let me let me bring up something uh, yeah a little different as an actor who has done his own stunts one thing that i must tell you that comes into play is that it's a conundrum right do you want to do the stunt on your own and can you look yourself in the mirror and realize that that stunt guy didn't get paid that day for that stunt yes right right so that so as realistic as I've wanted to make things sometimes, I've foregone the opportunity because I know the stunt guy and I want him to get his to get his clip, right? A hundred percent. That that is a part of it. And there's even you know, getting into the, the movie stunt side of it for a racer was super controversial. I think Dukes of Hazard was the first movie we did. I Reese Millen brought me on for that. And um it was always like, look do the technical driving, but when they say, because they're never going to say, Hey, we're going to do a crash. We want this other guy to do it. You're established as that guy, you're Bo Duke or whatever. So you, you know, you, the stunt is offered to you, but when that's thrown up just say, Hey, if there's a stunt guy who got here banking on that adjustment for that hit, then have at it. And you know, that's not necessarily what we want to do anyway. We want to do the technical stuff and make the car live when it comes to jumping it through the pile of cars and catching it on fire these guys know how to do that without getting hurt. And so let them do it. Um, but yeah, you're right. There, there is a balance there, but I think if you work as a double for somebody like Tom Cruise or Keanu Reeves, you know that, you know, you're only going to go into the stuff. Yeah. That's it, yeah. likely going to break your body, but you know, everything else you're not going to get to work. I, for. I, I mean, yes. And Bill, to your point, 
I can see the actor wanting to do the stunt if it makes sense for the actor to do the stunt and they're filming it in a way that they're taking advantage of it. But if your point is to, you know, to be in a fight or throw somebody through a wall and you just want to do it because you think you can, if they're not filming it in a way that it matters, then you're right. Why not give it to the to the stunt person? A hundred percent. But also realize that, you know, I've been a stunt guy you know, for my entire life. And if I can do something better than the stunt guy and have them be able to stay one camera on me and not have to get intricate with the filming and cover stuff up, yeah. then it's a, again, a conundrum. Do yeah. I do it or do I, and take money away from this guy or do I just let him do it? And, you know, it's, a, it's I don't, I just want to throw it out there because it's something yeah. people might not understand. You're right. And I would, I could not, I can't speak for anybody, but I got the impression in this film that for Keanu, the whole reason for doing it wasn't necessarily an ego thing. It was like he wanted to do it to make the story more believable. Oh, yeah. So, that, so you never took somebody out of the moment where they're like, oh, that's definitely not him. You know, you don't want to give the audience that chance. And that's the impression I got. And so, yeah, if there was a scene where it was a, you know, the, the cars driving out of the, Arc de Triumph from you know an aerial shot. You can't. Yeah, there's no. He would not want it. They wouldn't even ask him to drive that. Yeah, but you know because it's not the point. There was there was a move that uh, I think goes to credit to to Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan brought in 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 this regard. He brought in a little bit of comedy, but realism. Like he'd be doing a fight scene, and if if you know, his, his hand got smashed in a door or if he punched somebody and then after he'd be like shaking his hand, be like, Whoa, that, that fucking hurts. You know, like he, yeah. a little bit of comedy, but like a, like realistic, like, listen, mm-hmm. if you got hit with a ladder, you would, it would sting. Right. Yeah. In in John wick, Keanu's version of that is he's always fucking tired. Like you see him in a, and he's moving, he's moving, he's moving. And then there's, there's like, a break for a second where the whoever he's fighting is like, I don't know, just standing there for a second going, John, are, are you still alive or whatever? And he's always like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, it I, I kind of like that aspect. Oh, yeah. It's like the whole movie. He's just fucking tired. But it's real. It's realistic. <laughs> so real. And he uh, like, you know, working five nights a week and then I'd get him on a Saturday. He dropped something. He'd get down on one knee and pick it up <laughs> and just like, just kind of look up and and then stand back up again. I'd be like, "Holy shit, freaking John Wick!" <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he's just freaking tired. He's and, just tired. And at yeah. the end of the day, it's got to be. I mean, you've done millions <laughs> of these things, man. It's just so much more fun to do it with guys who appreciate it, want it to be the best, and are not afraid to stick their nose in there and get dirt. Oh yeah. It does make it way more fun. And they, you know, they come, they show up. They're like, I just want to learn to do what you can do. And they're, I mean, I wouldn't say students, but they're the best at learning because you know, they are students, but they are students because yeah. they care. You know? Yeah. Cause they, they enjoy care. it and they enjoy it at the same time. You can't yeah. tell me Kiana doesn't enjoy driving. You can't tell me he doesn't enjoy shooting. You can't tell me he doesn't enjoy fighting. So at the end of the day, I mean, it's a better film, better production, uh, better morale on set. And, you know, it's, uh, it's rewarding. I, yeah. I, uh, one thing I'll, I'll echo the, uh, the, the, the director's been doing some, some interviews, obviously. And I agree with him 100%. I think there should be r- more recognition for, uh, the, the, the stunt people in the industry. Definitely. If, and listen, I, I get it. The entertainment industry is so fueled by ego. Imagine if every job we did, we rolled credits of people at the end of everything we did. It would be weird. Like, here's your hamburger today brought to you by here's the chef and here's this for here. Right. You know, like, you know, it's an ego driven thing uh, in a sense. But if that's going to be the case, how come there aren't an Oscar category for stunt people? And I think there absolutely should be. And I think 100%. I think this movie is a pretty good champion for that. And I and I, I think if you're going to go around and you're going to do the interviews and people are going to ask you this stuff anyway, then I, I think everyone who's out there doing interviews for this film should be pushing that, you know, Oscar category for stunt people and not on the 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 one that they don't air on TV. Just do it the right way. Just get them up there and 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 
and give them some of the recognition. All yeah, the- truthfully, they're the nuts and bolts of what we end up seeing on, te- on, on at the at the theater. Yeah, they're the glue that holds everything together. You know, I mean, there's, I mean, it's a, this whole movie. It's like this whole sequence, the whole John Wick movie. Maybe from the beginning, the the creative on it. It's like an homage to the stunt world. You know, it's uh, I I saw one of the actors joke that he was talking to Keanu, and Keanu said he hadn't said a word for like five weeks or something in of filming you know so it's just stunts but it's kind of like all these stunt guys like oh my god i've always wanted to do this one thing and have this club with like water walls and you're fighting in the rain and and they do it and then it's like oh i've always wanted to do this one thing where you have this gun that like blasts the fire and then you get like every time you got shot you got you know yanked out of the shot and and then they do it and so it's sort of like they had these 200 million dollars to just do this (laughs) insane stunt reel Right yeah. in and guns, horses, cars, yeah, and it's directed by a stunt guy. Everybody involves stunt guys, and and then they get this badass lighting and director photographer to make it super cool, and you know this kind of dark story that goes along, and it's it's like an homage to stunts, and so it's like especially with a movie like this, how could you not have what it's a what it really is? You know, the core of the film, the stunts, and the people that make that happen. How could you not have that recognized more? But but well, also, the first movie I ever did was uh, Universal Soldier and Mick Rogers. It nice. was the first movie Mick uh, directed, and it was all stunt guys. Yes. And I got to tell you, I've done a lot since, but that was arguably the most fun I have ever had working in my entire life. I mean, it was from their mentality to their hard work to their perfectionist. I mean, it, it was it was unbelievable. And Mick Rogers is one hell of a dude. I can tell you that. That's awesome. It makes great film too, because the stunt guys know where the action is. They know where it's going to explode through the lens. You know what, where you're about to hit, and um, so it was even fun being able to talk about where a good spot for the camera to end up mm-hmm. was. Um, and on my phone, we filmed so much of the rehearsals. We'd have the car sliding at us, and you can feel as a driver, you know where it's going to end up. Mm-hmm. So you could be right there in the face. Um, watching it land but um and then so the way they shoot it even and how they place the cameras as stunt people um i think is so much more relevant to the action that's cool uh, yeah, how many cameras all- do you go through how many phones do you go through you run so, i didn't go through any phones we did hit a couple <laughs> drones though we i think we buried a drone or two <laughs> i think some a pilot or two cried but it was uh yeah I mean, you're at night, you're doing hardcore stuff. Cars are spinning around. There's traffic everywhere. Um, it's inevitable some of that happens, but it, it, it was all in all. I mean, it was yeah. because we were shooting out in an airport. It was it was pretty spread out and open. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I, uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Um, uh, I want to get into just a couple of more things. I know you've got a, a lot on the table. First of all, you got more sure. films? There's probably films in the can or or stuff that's going to be coming up because this stuff happens years after before it comes out, right? You were working with John Wick, I don't know, a year or two years ago. On, yeah, something on John like Wick. that. Um, the one one that's not out yet is uh, the Old Guard. Do you remember this? Shirley's yeah. their own. Um, yeah. The Old Guard Two. Okay, that was kind of a, a drifting sequence out in Italy. I did with Bill with your buddy Samuel Hubinet had him out, <laughs> and uh, we had a Viper involved, so we had to get Samuel in there from the old Viper drift days. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I saw and, Samuel and his beautiful wife at the uh, unveiling, the one seventy man. I, I can't. I mean, you know that they're just absolutely the most wonderful people ever. Yeah, yeah. We have good times for sure. And so that was nice to cruise through Italy. We actually had like a, a bunch of test days on the car, but once the car works, the more you test it, the more you're just beating it up. And the mechanics are just like, you're getting, you know, they just want you to stop. So we, we got them working. And then we went to the formula one race where I've been racing for McLaren now for this is the second year in an electric truck, but it was my first time going to an F1 race. So we went to Hungary to that round and, and then we went and finished the filming. It was, we had a great trip on that movie. But I'm interested to see how it turns out. I really liked the old guard, the first one. Yeah, it was, it was a good movie. It was, it was sneaky good. Like I just sort of saw it pop in on Netflix and watched it. I was like, wow, that was really freaking entertaining. But so yeah, tell us about what you're doing with McLaren, the the racing you're doing, the electric truck. How did this? Come uh, out? So Extreme E is this series where it's uh, ten electric trucks that go around different parts of the world, um, ten rounds. 
all the trucks travel on a ship together. And the interesting thing about it, the trucks are fast and the, and the, the courses are gnarly and everything. And the drivers are gnarly. I mean, some of the top rally drivers in the world, rally cross drivers, off-road drivers. But the um, it's interestingly a, a series that has some sort of basis in sustainability. And what I get out of that is I'm a big fan of motorsport. I think in the last 100 years, we've all benefited from racing cars, seatbelts, disc brakes, reliability, power, everything has come from innovations from racing and there's a big risk right now that racing just ends um, from a manufacturer supported side because they can just go spend five million dollars on making videos and not racing and never lose tell their story yada yada there's a lot of benefits to just making youtube videos rather than compete with other manufacturers and it's scary times because the innovation curve is just flattening and even the, the little bit of racing that I do with electric, I race Baja an electric car, um, do various other rallycross stuff in electric. Even just every single weekend, you're coming up with new things that would make it a little better, might be something for the next car build. So the innovation happens fast in motorsport. And Extreme E is doing motorsport in a way that has enough of the, the responsibility check. And, you know, people bring their, basically, it's like you bring your own cups and your own plates you don't use plastic uh, bottles. It's simple stuff like that, but it's enough of a, a check towards sustainability that it frees up all of the green sustainability money to spend it on motorsport, which which I'm a big fan of. And I think series will probably need to start moving in this direction on a big scale in order to keep racing alive. And that's that's what I'm into. It's interesting because I was going to ask why would McLaren get involved, but I I see what you're saying. They're 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 working on the future of their technology, right? There's a lot going on there and sustainability and stuff. So how does that translate eventually to, you know, to other cars? And yeah. Cars? And it's, you know, sustain the word sustainability and electric stuff doesn't always have to be anti hot rod and petrol head. You know, I, for me, it's a matter of the, the manufacturer money makes the motorsport world go around and to keep them enticed in competition Sometimes there's going to be a hurdle or two that you've got to jump over, especially when you have these alternatives, like just making very inexpensive content. Um, so uh, that's my thing. It, right now it's dominated by companies that are involved in Formula One. They tend to have big companies involved and those companies have a branch of sustainable money that they need to spend every year. And so this is a way for them to spend that budget with the same known team marketing people or whatever that they spend their other racing budget with. Um, so it, it makes sense right now, but I think, you know, it'll probably evolve into other things, but um, yeah, I'm a believer in the, what the big picture is. And for me, that is keeping racing a viable marketing option for the big sponsors of the world. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. And uh, you're doing something uh, new with Optima batteries as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, so I'm not with Rockstar after 18 years. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, shifted to Optima batteries, which um, has been a cool thing. They are uh, they do so much grabbing. Bill, you know, they're, they, they do these shootouts. These, they have track events every other weekend around the country doing these amazing events from um, everything from autocross to time attack style track events. I mean, they, they really hit the grassroots world hard. Their parent company, Clarios, is the biggest battery manufacturer in the world. Most of the batteries you probably have from other manufacturers, most of them are made by Clarios. But strangely, with electric cars, the 12-volt battery is even more important than in a regular car. Like a, in a combustion car, you can have a, a cell down in your 12 volt battery and it'll still start. It'll be a little slower than usual. Um, if it doesn't work, you can jump start it. Like with an electric car, it just won't turn on if, if it senses any issue in a battery. So they have some cool technology that is coming out to address that. But so just sort of getting in front of that technology, I guess, with this relationship with Optima. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. No, it's good. Sounds exciting. Yeah, it'll it be was cool. a, it was a long right? time with it. Rockstar. Yeah, it was a long time with Rockstar. 18 years. They were great. Yeah. They were yeah. great. You know, they sold the Pepsi not too long ago. Right. Um, like two, three years ago. Um, but 
you know, I think they had six employees when I started with them and they, um, they had no idea about racing. Uh, every time we talked to them about doing a program, you know, I would go do European racing, like when I was with Ford. Um, and over there they raced like Ford Fiestas. So Rockstar would be like, Hey, so, okay. Rallycross sounds cool. The numbers look interesting and everything, but can you race like a Lamborghini or like a Ferrari or something? It's like, no, how about a Ford Fiesta? Yeah. When I switched to Volkswagen, they're like, does that mean we're doing like a Porsche? I'd be like, no, it's going to be a Beetle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're coming out of their skin because they didn't see it as their brand, but it was all about X games, all about a young, you know, demographic and that, that all worked. But yeah. They were I mean, so willing. Yeah. It's a Ford Fiesta, but it's a Ford Fiesta running 60 pounds of boost. Right? Yeah, no, two to 60 in a couple seconds. Yeah, two yeah. seconds. But they, they, so, I mean, whatever. My, there's, there's a long list of people, like I've been doing this for 25 years, and there's a long list of people that without each one, you know, any one of them, it would just wouldn't have worked or continued. And um, the, the people at Rockstar, uh, you know, they were very trusting. They had sampled drifting, but that was it. And they 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 were willing to walk through doors that they yeah. didn't have any idea what Rallycross was. They had no reason to sponsor a Fiesta or a Beetle or whatever. And they they kept the ball rolling for me for you know almost two decades. Well, I'm so, sure they I'm sure they learned a hell of a lot from you. And hats off to them for having the confidence in you to for, to lead the way for them. It it was I mean. If, you know how it is with sponsors. You, 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 there's no reason to get involved with one unless you feel like you can move the needle for them in a long-term relationship. Yeah. And um, I always wondered, cause I, I didn't ride dirt bikes um, much. Uh, I was, I wasn't into a lot of their normal kind of scene I thought, but, but I did get them access to manufacturers like Ford and Volkswagen and got them, as a small company involved in billion dollar marketing budgets. And, um, and so that was sort of my use was getting them exposure to a more mass market that wasn't their niche. And it took a while for both, both of us, for me and for them to really realize what, how to utilize that. But um, I learned a lot from the relationship because it is a brand that, you know, I, I, you know, energy drinks are an interesting brand because they, you know, they're, it's, a, it's a marketing brand competing with other marketing brands. It's, it's a brand loyalty thing. You know, people go into a store and pick the energy drink based on some brand loyalty, not probably necessarily the flavor or the health benefits or whatever, you know? Right. So, um, no, it, it, it was a great run and I'm so appreciative of it. And I, I'm, I'm, I've been compiling some, and it's nice that now my title sponsor Optima is not in the energy drink space. So I can still bring out some of that old content. And um, so we're, we're compiling some of the fun stuff we've done over the last 18 years and put out some videos with that. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, I, I'm, it's a rare opportunity that you get a sponsor for that long in. Oh God. Yes. In any you know, Yeah. Yeah. So, well, awesome, man. I, I think we're going to wrap things up. Looking forward to what you're doing, uh, what you got going on with Optima. You're still with Volkswagen? Yeah, still with Volkswagen. Yeah, good. They didn't, uh, McLaren didn't consider them a competitor, which is good. <laughs> yeah, and, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. I mean, I, we laugh about it because it's Volkswagen, but Volkswagen Group does own many brands that would be competitive. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a, in, in, the McLaren deal is really about the Extreme E series. And for Volkswagen, I still um, have a spokesperson deal, even though we don't do Rallycross with them anymore. I still do Nora 1000, an electric truck, and we're innovating on that and coming up with new ways to go faster and be more competitive. Um, and then, um, you know, with the Volkswagen R group, uh, still doing a lot of things with that with that little machine. So. Um, they, we have a golf R that is for sale in the U S I think they're sold out, but they, they still sell those in the U S even though a lot of times our market is different than the rest of the world. Yeah. One nice thing about them is we're the, one of the only places in the world you can buy a manual golf, uh, R, which, yeah, yeah, which, which is cool. Having a a kid who who drives manual, who's 17 years old. I love that. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty much just the U.S. and Canada. But anyway, yeah, so still still great relationships, still having fun, still enjoying driving and flying, and hopefully we'll get you up in an airplane soon. I know 
Bill, you're not coming, but so you're talking to Pat, <laughs> not me. <laughs> Bill's out. Bill's oh, out. Wind walking. You know, there won't be room for me to come. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, all right. Man, sir, it's uh, awesome to see you again, dude. Uh, no question about it. It's always a pleasure to have you on any uh, form of uh, what we're doing, man. So uh, thank you very much. Congratulations. Continued success. We'll see you soon. Cool. Thank you, Bill. Uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. You can find Tanner Faust on social media. On uh, You're going to see him all over the place in motorsports as as usual. And chances are, if you're watching a movie, he's doing some driving back there. So keep an eye out uh, for there as well. Um, Drink Bravago. That's our website. Thanks for you guys getting the orders in and uh, ordering our 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 hard seltzers. And uh, we've got more great stuff coming down the way. So um, check and it go out. To Mo- go to Motor Trend. Uh, I blew up a, a Dodge uh, 2023 red eye on faster with finnegan faster with finnegan i saw the clips from that you and i talked about it a while ago just <laughs> leaving a trail of carnage wherever you go <laughs> um uh so check that out faster with finnegan as well on 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 motor trend uh, uh motor trend streaming service so um until next time thanks guys keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCastShow. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. CarCastShow.com.